It's The Rest Is History. Hello, I'm Frank Skinner. They say those who ignore history are condemned to relive it, but I don't take any notice of that. They say those who ignore history are condemned to relive it, (laughs) but I don't take any notice of that. Welcome to The Rest is History, the show in which I continue my quest to learn more and more about the rich and rewarding realm that is history. My mentor in all this is our resident historian, Professor Kate Williams. So, Professor Kate, who marches at my side tonight? Tonight, Frank, we have the marvellous Izzy Sooty and Al Murray. Can I ask you, before we begin this, what would you say was your, um, your historical credentials? Um, I did history at school. I got a B at GCSE. That's um, pretty good. Thank you. People in here would have killed for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know a bit about Matlock's history, and that's probably just about all I can remember. Matlock so in Derbyshire? Yeah. OK. So um, I know a little bit about the Industrial Revolution and Richard Arkwright, but mainly because I fancied a boy who worked in the gift shop. So, <laughs> what about you? Are you, I know, yeah. are heavily qualified? Well, I have a degree in, in history. Yeah. Did you get a From B? what university, Al? <laughs> um, from uh, the University south of Birmingham, in a small village called Oxford. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. you're right to do but that. But it was so long ago, it now classes as history itself. <laughs> so, OK... It's that point in the show where we look at legends of the past and see if they contain any actual truths in the round I call a ledge, Udley. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was slightly obsessed with Robin Hood. I loved the idea of him always wearing green so he could hide in Sherwood Forest amidst the foliage. But even as a small child, I used to think, where does he hide in autumn? <laughs> so... What do you know about Robin Hood? And do you imagine he's just purely legendary based on no real stuff? I know that he, if he did exist, was from Nottingham, which is near where I grew up. So we used to go to Sherwood Forest and stuff. Um, I know that he used to wear green and have a band called the Merry Men, which I thought was quite a nice name for (laughs) people who robbed people. Yeah. Um, But... I also know that he might not have existed a bit like, you know, the Tooth Fairy. So, sorry if anyone's listening who's under 15. They won't be. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how how long it goes on, the Tooth Fairy thing? It does in Matlock. Okay. Um, (laughs) They have a very late milk teeth rotor. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of vitamin deficiency. Oh, God, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I know that it might have been a name given to people, and that's just about it, really. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Al? Well, he's an essential piece of English folklore and mythology, and he first emerges... He's in Piers Plowman in the 1400s. He crops up by name, and then the legends and the ballads all sort of start to surface in the Tudor era and then appear in the Stuart era, and then they get entrenched and become a body of legend, but the legend shifts and who he was and his class and his allegiance as extra stuff bolted onto it, as far as I remember... Um, but, but I think you can, the English, you can take the night off, Professor of the, of the English rebels, Herod the Wake is the genuine article, who's the guy who, who ran a, uh, an insurgency against the... And he invented the alarm clock. He also invented the alarm clock, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and he, he was based in the Fens in Ely and was a rebel in the Fens. And he, you can actually locate him in the record in the way that you can't find Robin Hood at all. See, I, I understood that there was a man called Robin of Loxley who kind of where this whole yeah, but, thing came but, from. But that could just be a bloke called Robin from Loxley, because that's, you know... Almost certainly. Well, yeah, but exactly. <laughs> but that, Hence the use but, of the word or, of. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's exactly it. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean he's Robin Hood. It no. doesn't mean he's anybody. I mean, there's a John of Loxley too, probably, and a Jeff of Loxley, Frank of Loxley. Like I said, when I was a kid, I was really... He was massive, you know. He was on the telly and that, and people were... Re- we, used to pl- we used to play him at school, yeah. you know. We used to play being Robin well, Hood. Yeah, I, th- there's something nice about the ethos of taking from the rich and giving to the poor. I think that's what's appealing. Yes, I forgot about... I must say, I've, I don't like him as much as I used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am stunned by the level of knowledge going on here. It, it's pretty incredible. And I particularly like Al's point that it was a mythic shape, that what we see in Robin Hood are these myths, because... I was completely right. The first mention we really got about Robin Hood is a passing reference in Piers Plowman in 1377, the Middle English poem. And we keep seeing these literary references. The most important one is um, the, the little jest, the little jest of Robin Hood, which was probably composed in 1450 and written in the early part of the 16th century. And that gives us all the myths about Robin Hood. It's called the little jest. The little jest. The little jest, which in Latin, it comes in the Latin for life. So oh, OK. The little jest of Robin Hood. And what is fascinating about these early stories is that no robbing from the rich to give to the poor. It's just robbing. Okay. And it's really developed over that period. And then finally, when it's written up by a guy called Joseph Riston in 1795, he puts in about robbing the rich and giving to the poor. Can I play you a a short extract from an American folk song? You all right with that, Professor? I'd love it. Okay. This is a song um, called Jesse James. See, see if you recognise this, this image, OK. Jesse James was a lad who killed many a man. He robbed the Glendale train. He robbed from the rich and he gave to the poor. He'd a hand and a heart and a brain. Now... He had a hand and a heart and a brain. I don't know how long that anatomical inventory would have gone on. <laughs> I think the idea... He had lots of stuff. but um, in the middle eight. I think the idea yeah, is that um, he had a hand for stealing with and a heart for caring about the poor and a brain, which is how he kept getting away. Can you give me a score out of 100, Professor? What's the chances that there was a Robin Hood out of 100? I would say that that is about three. One. But there's Uh, still a chance. (laughs) Yeah, there's still a very small chance. Okay, that's it. The time has come for me to speak of interesting statues I have encountered on my travels in the round I call Solid Citizens. This week, I have a bit of a history mystery. I used to live near Lambeth Bridge on the River Thames and in a small park there stands a statue of an ancient Roman who had a very significant role in the development of train travel. How can this possibly be? Any ideas? So I'll give you a clue. He was dressed as an ancient Roman in his statue but he was actually from the 19th century. So he just liked dressing as a Roman? Yeah. Doesn't make him a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> is it a 
kind of a kind of Brunel or a Stevenson type person. Is well, the railway was, the clue? It was um, what I know about this. I don't know his name or anything much about. I think he was a local MP. But the one thing I, I asked um, someone about him who actually knew a bit about Lambeth, and he was the first person in the world to be killed in a railway accident. Lord Liverpool. Is that, was that his name? Is that right? He was hit by a train a pr- when there was only, no, like, one have train. That, have I got that right? I'm so impressed that you know... That. I'm so impressed that you said that, that even if it's not true, you still have my I'm respect. I'm sure I'm wrong. I fear Phil's wrong. I know, I like... At least the alliteration, I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Lord yeah. Liverpool. Yeah, it was at an early demonstration of, the, of a train. Um, and yeah, and he got run over. He got, he got run over. And this, is, this was... is around the time where you, where you have got the guy with the flag... Walking in front of the train, sort of stuff. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it was uh, that the whistle was a later development. It was a politician. Certainly, was a politician. I think he was. A, anyway, let, a politician. Let, let's, let, before we uh, delve into this, can we just establish that much? Was he Lord Liverpool? No. No. Okay. no. I was going to say it's a long way to go to get a statue of yourself. If you were living in Liverpool, you wouldn't want a statue of yourself there with a toga on. <laughs> Very near because he was MP for Liverpool. Oh, well, there you go, you see. Practically. I'm going to give you... That's what people should... They should take the name of their constituency. Yeah. What was his name, then? Well, this gentleman is William Huskisson, and he was the first person to be hit by a train. And he was a politician, <laughs> as you say. He was a politician for quite a few places, Morpeth, Yiscard, Harwich, Chichester, and finally Liverpool. And what happens in 1830 is they have the marvellous, wonderful opening of the Liverpool to Manchester Railway, the first railway to rely exclusively on steam power with no horse-drawn traffic, and the first to be timetabled and to carry mail and to have a signalling system. So, my goodness, what a party. So yeah. they're all thrilled. Tens of thousands of people come to Liverpool, and going on this train, of course, is a terribly... A great honour to go mm. on the train. Uh, Wellington is on this train, and Huskinson's also in the train, but uh, Wellington has gone off Huskinson. They were quite friendly, and Wellington's gone off him. They've fallen out, and Huskinson's desperate to be back in Wellington's good books. And we know that Wellington's a bit of a cool, moody guy. It's once you're out, you're out with him, really. Okay. Huskinson's hopeful. So they're on this train, they're heading to Manchester, they've got on at Liverpool, and they stop at Parkside, and the guests get off, and, and Huskinson thinks, this is my moment to go and get back in with the of Wellington. I'm on my way because he's so happy. And then suddenly uh, the rocket is coming on the other on the other side. And in the confusion, he dashes for Wellington's carriage and jumps up, holding the door. And then the door swings into the rocket, and it basically hits him and passes over his entire leg. Okay, so he's hit by Stevenson's rocket. He's hit by Stevenson's rocket, and he says, "It's all over with me. Bring me my wife and let me die." Okay. Well, there's a lesson here, isn't there? <laughs> Don't try and hobnob with celebrities. <laughs> Maybe he had his toga on that day and the driver assumed it was a ghost and just went straight through it. <laughs> they were superstitious times, the 1830s. <laughs> I like the idea that he was buried in his Roman gear at some, in, in the year, like, 3000. Archaeologists will dig him up and he's, he's, he's there in a toga and his gravestone says, hit by a train. That's really <laughs> going to confuse them. <laughs> What I'd like to know, that I, I, there was a, uh, an exhibition at the British Museum called uh, Defining Beauty, and it was, it was Greek statues and pots and, that, and all these incredible uh, figures. And there was a statue of a woman there, and she, um, I think, was a Roman woman. And you know the Romans were slightly obsessed with ancient Greece. So she had her head modelled, 
and she'd had her head put on a, a copy of a Greek body. So it was sort of early photoshopping. <laughs> she had her own head put on this fabulous body, and I wonder if... Would he have actually put a toga on for his sitting, or would he have just had his head done, and then they'd have put him on the top of another ancient Roman statue? Well, it's not even his body. Yeah, not necessarily. You can't tell under all that drapery. I don't suppose you have any idea about that, Kate, do you? He was never a man to wear Roman dress in real life, so he didn't wear it to fancy dress, he didn't wear it to dinner, so he never wore it in real life. He just wore your typical Victorian gentleman outfit. It was only after death that when they made a statue of him, they put it in this Roman senator's robes to evoke new... And I think... Vote neoclassicism, I think, really, they were saying to themselves, it's not a very dignified death to be dying, hanging off Wellington's carriage, trying to get back in with a man who doesn't want you anymore. No. So let's try and give him some dignity. So he was, he was photoshopped, essentially. He was CGI'd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so is it a bit humiliating to be hit by a, a train that, that is coming towards you at 28 miles an hour? Well, I mean, it's yeah. a funny way to die, and it there's is. dignity in that. That's always terrible to die in a funny way, though. It always seems, it seems all right to laugh at it. Sad, but, as you say, hilarious. <laughs> and now the round I call Keep Calm and Come Up With A Slogan. <laughs> Actually, if there's one thing I hate, it's any type of parody of the World War II slogan, Keep Calm and Carry On. You know the sort of thing, Keep Calm and... <laughs> what about that other World War II slogan, Careless Talk Costs Lives? What if that caught on? Imagine the modern world devoid of careless talk. <laughs> it would be a silent wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think of any other slogans from history? Our country needs you. Yeah, that... I think it's your country, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. yeah that's You're not a... going to put it up in another country. That's pretty... Yeah. Our, our country needs you. Well, maybe they're advertising for mercenaries. <laughs> yeah, that's a great... I mean, that really does hit home. I've got that on my wall. Have actually. you? Yes. Dig for victory. That's a cracking... I mean, result. all these cracking Second World War ones, aren't they, where they, they had it all worked out, didn't they, that kind of... And I think people weren't cynical... Maybe were different about slogans now. You see a political slogan, and I think, oh, jog on. But why do you think Keep Calm and Carry On has had such an enormous impact? That was a genuine, I'm presuming, a genuine World War II slogan. I'm looking to Al because he's Mr World War II. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's real, yeah. Um, but I think maybe it's because it, it's what we... an emotional state we aspire to that maybe we've... Um, maybe we didn't even have at the time, I don't know, but maybe the, the idea that you can keep calm and carry on is something, is something that we all wish we could do, isn't it? Also, with technology, I think it's... You know, everyone's always walking around on phones and kind of trying to do emails and trying to do a million things at once. Mm. So I think that it kind of ties in with that, like trying to stay calm amidst all this I mean, choice. It, it goes really. with, the, with the bombed out houses with business as usual in front of them and all that sort of plucky blitz spirit stuff. And yeah. the, the idea we have of what the, how we dealt with the blitz, um, which of course is, is true, but also there's more to it than that. Of course, um, yeah. yeah. Much but it, more to it than But that. it is kind of inspirational in that yes. respect. Yes, and also it's easier to keep calm than it is to dig. That is... <laughs> like, that... I wouldn't know what I was doing if you asked me to, like, grow an artichoke. But if you say, keep calm, I can try. Yeah. it's <laughs> a very, very good point. <laughs> you know, there's some odd ones that kind of, like, flamboyant dress is um, not only bad form, it's unpatriotic. Things like that, you know, the, the, trying to get people to... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, well, there's, one, like, there's one like that, yeah, that, you know, uses too much material. Like, yes. You've got to dress conservatively. 
Make do amend as well, as the lady in the audience said. Thank yeah. you. When the, at the beginning of the war, the government realised they're going to have to do rationing again, because rationing had been a partial success in the First World War, but it caused kind of food inflation and stuff like that, and they had to make sure that didn't happen again. And they got... I can't remember his name, but the guy that was brought in to run rationing was a department store expert, had run department stores. So he came in and said, right, what we're going to do is do this as marketing or do it, treat it like an advertising campaign. Market rationing to people for their health and to help with the war effort as a sort of double sleight of hand. So people felt that rationing was... It was their way of fighting for the country, I suppose, for having a bit less. Yeah. My own particular favourite is um, Loose Lips Sink Ships, (laughs) which uh, I just think there's something beautiful about that. Also, apparently... There has barely been a nautical disaster since the invention of the collagen implant. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out, turns out they were absolutely spot on. <laughs> what about... As much as I hate parodies of Keep Calm and Carry On, can you, you can probably guess this one, but I do love it. What do you imagine is the slogan of the Hawk Conservation Trust? Keep Calm and... And carrion. And carrion, exactly. It's pretty good, isn't it? No! Oh, okay. (laughs) So, when I was a kid, the big. They used to have these public service broadcasts where we were told, you know, how to live good and safe lives. And one of the ones was, which which has stuck with me as a slogan, it's a brilliant slogan coughs and sneezes spread diseases. Mm. Yeah. Now, I still remember that from the 60s. Can you remember, from just a few years ago, the swine flu? Slogan. Was it something like cough into a hanky? No hanky panky? (laughs) (laughs) That's better. That's better than what it was. It's actually catch it, bin it, kill it, which is rubbish compared to stop coughs and sneezes, spread diseases. Well, also, it could be applied to loads of things like a wasp. Yes. (laughs) It's better for wasps. (laughs) It's better for wasps than swine flu. Yeah, because you don't picture. A disease, you even though it's airborne, because we don't see it. The problem oh. is, is the it changes. The first it is a sneeze, then the next it is a tissue, and the third one <laughs> is the virus. Yeah. Too much it interchangeability in that slogan. <laughs> Whereas pick it, lick it, roll it, flick it. <laughs> Consistency, that's what it's yeah. all about. <laughs> He who smelt it, dealt it. Yes. <laughs> he who said the rhyme did the crime. Yeah, yeah, all right. OK. <laughs> so what about all this, Kate? Keep Calm and Carry On. It was produced by the Ministry of Information in 1939, and what it was supposed to do was raise our morale if we were invaded. So that oh, was what we were okay. supposed to be doing, is if it, we were invaded, it was telling us to keep calm and carry on, no matter how many times we were being invaded, and along with being told, your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory, a problem if you're being invaded, and freedom is in peril, which is probably pretty true. So it wasn't really seen by the national population. They did print two and a half million copies. Some of them were sent oh, out. It was on hold but some of them, for an invasion. They were, but it really wasn't very well looked at. So we never really even saw it. And then in 2000, someone found the Keep Calm and Carry On poster in a second-hand bookshop in Northumberland. And after that, it just went crazy. So it really was a a 2000 reincarnation of the poster. So So does anyone own the rights to Keep Calm and Carry On? Because someone should be making 
yeah, a lot of money. That, yeah, sadly. Well, copyright expires on artistic works made by the UK government after 50 years, so the image is in the public domain. So it oh. is free to use, another one of its benefits. I mean, there was a lot of public health stuff as well, wasn't there? I read somewhere that Stan Lee, um, you know, who invented Marvel. all the Marvel comics, he worked in the US Army propaganda unit, writing pamphlets, and he wrote a lot of pamphlets about VD. The armies were really worried about people getting sick. The Americans are a lot of posters with sort of phantom men who weren't in the landing craft on the way to D-Day because, because they'd uh, misbehaved. Yes. And, and a lot of, there was a lot of... But Stan Lee wrote the copy for all that stuff. That was what he did during the war. And what was their slogan? I can't remember, but it's basically... Um, they should have done a Don't Make It VD Day. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so, so wasted. Now, what else? Around in which I look at famous people from history, I only know one thing about and ask, well, what else? This week, Annie Oakley. The only thing I know about Annie Oakley is she was a famous crack shot in the Wild West. Some of you might know that Michael Jackson wrote a song about her. Annie, are you Oakley? Are you Oakley? Are you Oakley, Annie? Have you guys heard of uh, Annie Oakley? Well, it's Annie Get Your Gun, isn't it? That's all I know. I don't, mm. I don't know anything about... I mean, she's sort of Wild Bill Hickok and... Buffalo Bill and those people. Isn't she? I don't know whether she was just showbiz, well, that was how she started, or whether she was using those crack shot skills for something a bit more dark. And then went into yeah. showbiz as a sideline. The reason I got interested, I, I went to Disneyland Paris recently, and they have a Buffalo Bill Wild West show there, and, and a person who plays... Annie Oakley. Um, but she was very glamorous. And, of course, the, she couldn't... She, this was Disneyland, so she couldn't use real bullets. So she fired at things, and it was... You know, it was clearly... It was all very, very obviously faked. And one thing you don't want in a crack shot exhibition is miming. Yeah. And it made me wonder if the real Annie Oakley maybe was a cheat. Because I think one of her specialist things was that she'd hold a sort of ornamental Victorian hand mirror and fire over her shoulder and hit a target. I mean, I really struggle with parallel parking, <laughs> which is, a, you know, a much easier process. Of... That's not as good a show, though, is it, the one where you parallel park? <laughs> no, it's a longer show. <laughs> but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe she was... Um, if it was a hoax. I, I do remember... I covered the Wild West um, at school, and I do remember learning a bit about her. But, but was that the Wild West of Derbyshire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did learn about Annie Oakley, so what do you know? Yeah, we learned about, like, I, I do remember that, that she was supposed to be a good shot, but I always thought she was real. Um, I think she definitely existed. I'm just wondering if that level of marksmanship... You know when you see in cowboy films, they throw a thing in the air and shoot it out of the air? But then you read now that, you know, the weaponry they had wasn't actually that accurate. Well, pistol shooting's really difficult anyway, really, really hard. I mean, I, Buffalo Bill was a renowned shot. And oh, yes. Yeah. That's how he gained his reputation on the... On the well, he killed a lot know, of killing, buffaloes. Killing a lot of buffalo. But, well, so you've got to hit moving targets and all that sort of thing, uh, you know, on horseback. So he must have been a crack shot. But you just get the feeling that if that's his reputation, the people in his show are going to be good shots too. Otherwise, otherwise it's a great, one great big fraud waiting to get found out. Mm. Well, and and the, he was fated by kings and, oh, yeah, he and was emperors and all that sort of thing. He was a big rock star. Oh, totally. One of the first like, major celebs... I went clay pigeon shooting, which I thought was fairly innocuous thing. Yeah. And this, the guy who was sort of uh, showing me the ropes, he was sort of stroking the shotguns a bit. And I took this... <laughs> I, uh, do you know him? 
And uh, <laughs> I opened this shotgun and, like, a puff of um, smoke came out and uh, he looked at me from about five inches from my face and said, best smell in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I, d I didn't go anymore <laughs> after that. But, um, yeah, so... Um, Annie Oakley. I know she existed. If you tell me she didn't exist, Kate, I'm never... I'm leaving. <laughs> she definitely existed. She definitely existed. Yeah. She definitely existed, and she was a crack shot. That story you were saying about her using the mirror to hit the target, completely true. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. She had many tricks. She could shoot the corks off bottles, split cards on their edges, snuff candles, and one of her best tricks was shooting the ash off a cigarette. She was wow. a tough girl. This is quite dangerous, isn't it? At, uh, I mean, they were basically doing arena gigs. <laughs> so it's quite dangerous watching 2020 cricket. Imagine being <laughs> it where Annie Oakley is shooting the ash off people. Quite good fun doing an arena gig with a pistol, though. <laughs> the front row aren't into it. Laugh. <laughs> Do you know, for many years... No <laughs> for many years in the 70s, Elvis Presley used to have a, a, a gone down his boot because he always thought he was going to be shot at, and he's, the idea was he wanted to take the guy with him if he got shot. Brilliant. Imagine a bleeding Elvis on stage firing wildly into a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> a crowd of his loving fans. <laughs> it would have been better than dying on the toilet, certainly, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Everything you're saying is completely right. They made loads of money. Buffalo Bill was really successful. And also, she didn't use a rifle. She used a smooth-bore shotgun, so slightly easier to get that Oh, because you get a bit of spread. Get a bit of spread. So, but she started off as this Ohio farmer's daughter, and she had to learn to shoot to get food because they were so poor. They sold the family cow to pay for the doctor. So she went out shooting, and she was so successful that people, came to, people started talking about her, and she became part of these exhibitions. She joins Buffalo Bill in 1885, age 25, and spends most of the next 17 years with them. The famous time that so many of us know about is when they came to London. Nearly 2.5 million people came to see them, Queen Victoria said Annie was a very, very clever little girl and Edward, Prince of Wales, was absolutely charmed by her. And the best story about Annie is that when she met Crown Prince Wilhelm, who was then going to be Kaiser Wilhelm II, he was really fascinated by that trick we were talking about in which you'd shoot the ash off the cigarette. So he said, uh, uh, could you shoot the ash off my cigarette? And she was rather nervous about killing a Crown Prince. Mm. So she said, look... Don't put the cigarette in your mouth. Put it in your fingers and I'll shoot it off there. Because, you know, if you just yeah. miss, you just shoot off his hand. And she <laughs> did win. She did win. And she was perhaps the only person ever to point a loaded firearm at Wilhelm. She was an excellent shot. She just shot the ass. She didn't get the hand. But later she said, I regretted it. Because if she'd shot him and killed him, she would have stopped the First World War, possibly. <laughs> so, Annie Oakley's to blame for the First World War. <laughs> That's what I've learnt tonight. Well, look, this is um, <laughs> utterly fascinating. Uh, thanks to Professor Kate Williams. My guests, Izzy Sutty and Al Murray, have been brilliant. Thank you for listening. And the rest, as they say... <laughs> the Rest is History was hosted by Frank Skinner and Professor Kate Williams. The guests were Izzy Sutty and Al Murray. The producers were Mark Augustine and Justin Pollard. This was an Avalon production for BBC Radio 4.